Hello and welcome back to another episode of Box to Box. I'm Alex Perry, joined by Jeff Azahauser. Akshay Wadwani is back with us. We were away for a while for numerous reasons. Jeff ran a marathon. I was still getting adjusted to my interesting work schedule. Um, but and anyway. nothing of note happened in soccer the entire no, time. No. And this uh, is just my, this is a five minute. This is a five minute hello believe. and goodbye. This is just a we'll be back next week, five minute. Hi, here's a go. How's this it? is a wonderful time to to be returning. Okay, so um, it's been so long for us that since the last time we've talked, a lot of things happened. And I feel as though for my own sanity and safety, we should go in chronological order. Yeah, you see, you see. So let's open, it's, it's let's how, open with Manchester we... United three, Atalanta two. Let's uh, let's uh, start it's, there. It's, it's funny because Jeff, before we, we start this podcast, we were talking about how much you know we don't like politicians, but you are doing an excellent job just def- deflecting from anything you don't want to talk about. Yes, yes, yes. But this it's isn't funny, we this isn't for any about, political reasons. Uh, Kirsten Cinema or Kirsten Cinema, whoever you want to listen, listen, you call it. Hurry. We're just talking about that. So great. This isn't politics, though. This is self-preservation. This this is me so, not not wanting to dive down the Premier mental League health result, spiral. Liverpool five, Manchester United nil. Listen, Adel I think Trafford. I think United showed great courage coming back. They were down two nil early at, against Atalanta, and they showed up and they they really kind of fought back in a way that you like to see that that guts and that courage from they, your team. They, they fought back, but I think a lot of people, particularly in Paul Scholes, were raising the point that like. You know, if they're defending as poorly as they did for that first half against Atalanta, they're not going to get away with it um, against a better side. And they didn't because they weren't just 2-0 down at halftime. Uh, a couple of days later, they were 4-0 down. So, yeah, they came back against Atalanta. They I also it. said that exact but, thing, just for the record. I just want to take But the same issue, I mean, <laughs> the issues in that game were against Atalanta were quite glaring. Um, and they were even more so against Liverpool just a few days later. And, I mean, obviously the, the, the thought on most people's minds was about Ole's future of the club. Um, and I don't think many people were, you know, think that he has much longer left there. But I was pretty surprised to see, um, actually quite speechless to see, that apparently United have decided to stick with him for at least the next three games. Um, I mean, I was quite, I, I was pleasantly surprised to see it at that. Um, but... It's, do you it's do you quite think a shocking I mean, decision, honestly? I, I don't know what what are they thinking? Okay, here here's my follow-up. Who can they get in the next days that are is better? Who and, and I don't Eric Tan, you think Eric, he, do you think he can be on the training pitch at Old Trafford in, in two days? Do you think with if they assuming that prior to the Liverpool game they had not entertained ideas of hiring a new manager coming off a Champions League win? That do you think that realistically in two or three days they could get him on the That's training like ground? You get, a caretaker, you get a caretaker in for a couple of games, and then within a week or two, Conte okay, who's the caretaker? Right who's the caretaker? And does that improve couple, the team? It doesn't matter who the caretaker is, it's for a couple of games. It's got for a couple of games by, by okay, okay, okay. If, if the caretaker's no better than Ole, why not let him do that job for the next two or three weeks? Like, like <sighs> because he can't, because he's. Shown that he isn't capable of taking the team any further. But you think like, a caretaker's okay, better? They get a couple of wins. They get a couple of wins. That's great. But they're obviously going to be far more equipped to challenge for trophies. Maybe not this season, but next season, if they get someone like Conte in. What's the point of sticking around with Ole? He cannot take the team any further. So, so you think? So you think rather than wait for two or three games, wait for an international window where you have a chance to let the new manager come in and work with the squad for longer, that they should just sack him immediately? Yes. Okay. What's the point? What's the point of keeping Ole if they're just going to sack him anyway? I, I think. Even if he what's does, the point of sacking him when the results would, when the results would get worse? Unless, no, but even if the results do improve for United in, in the next few weeks, it, it's clear that he's just not a good enough manager for, for this job. And nothing, nothing Ole does in the next few weeks will will erase the fact that United have underperformed significantly to start the season. That given the players they signed over the summer, they should have been challenging for the title. They're still out of the title race. It's unacceptable. It doesn't matter if United win their next three games. He should be out. I I don't disagree. Um, I also think that I don't think any of us disagree that Ole should be gone. But I, I, I think, just I, I just disagree you... with Purry's mentality that you should get rid of him right now because there are things that happen. Yeah. In the time between now well, when, and when the next manager when can be brought in, when would you as soon the as moment soon Conte can step no, on I the agree. pitch, 
the there's moment no Conte reason, can step on the pitch. There's no reason to go under to, a caretaker. I agree okay. with Jeff that Ole is not going to be any worse than any quote-unquote caretaker that Manchester United will put in place while they're looking for another manager. So they might as well keep him until they have a replacement nailed down. Okay, well, I mean, there's a, there's an international break uh, in, yes. in a couple of weeks' time. So Th- that, that, that is a, time. That's a realistic time. It also gives you enough time to decide whether or not you want Conte and whether or not Conte is going to do the things that you want because the last thing Manchester United should do is hire someone who is going to come in and fuck up all of the progress that's been made. Pardon my French. What, what, what progress has really been made over the past few years, though? Honestly. They, okay, they Pur- are you serious? Are you okay? Purry. They Pur- have Alice, not made any progress. Mute Purry. Mute Purry for five minutes. This is his third Alice. full season. Purry. Purry. As a not Manchester United. No, no, no. You're delusional. Would. You're delusional if you think no progress has been made. I want you to compare the team that was starting Phil Jones and Chris Smalling and. Marcus Rojo and Daly Blinn. I want you to compare that team to the team we have now. The squad by itself <laughs> the squad is night and day different. They're not playing better. That's not the okay. question. The question First is, has all, there Alex, been that's progress? That's also not true. They are playing better. They're playing much better. We have a way better defense than we had before Ole took over. And what Ole, the most important thing that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer brought, again, Pete, that can be considered progress, considered the stage that Manchester United was in before he took over, is he brought stability. He brought Manchester United back to a place where they're not they're not at playing at a level that they can contend with teams like Liverpool and City. Obviously, that hasn't happened in the years that he's managed. But what he has brought is a stability and a normalcy to Manchester United that makes them an attractive club for big names to come in and play for again. And that's why Manchester United have been able to make these marquee signings over the past few years is because Ole has brought stability and allowed people to look at Manchester United not as a club that says, oh, this is a huge, rich club that's in a huge, big mess, and I don't want anything to do with it. But now, people are coming to Manchester United and saying, hey. United have always been able to attract marquee players, yeah. even before. Even Alex, before that is not so true. That is that Alex, absolutely not true. true. Ale- no, that Alex is, is wrong. True. Alex is objectively no. wrong. <laughs> yeah. Okay, in 2014, when they hired Von Hall, who did they sign? Di Maria. Tell me, tell me if, tell me if three or four years ago. Di Maria is a marquee signing. The next tell me. They signed Pogba and Ibrahimovic. Those are huge They signed world-class players. I want you to tell me if guys like, I want you to tell me if Ronaldo would have well joined this squad away. three years ago. Why didn't okay. Ronaldo join this squad three years ago? Okay. Why, Let's why? go over each of those. Bastian Schweinsteiger was way past his prime when he joined Manchester still, United. He was still a big player. No, he wasn't. Was like, no, he wasn't, Alex. He was on the outs of Bayern Munich. They wanted him gone. No German. Oh, and by the him. way, not two years, a, a big player not two years later was winning the World Cup with the Chicago Fire. Enough with your nonsense, <laughs> Furry. Enough with your yes, nonsense. Bastian. Okay. Angel Di Maria, Angel Di Maria was not again past his prime. No other big club wanted him. What are you talking about? He had just he had just won the Champions League with Real Madrid. He was man of the match in the final of a Champions League final, and then he had a big role in getting Argentina to the World Cup final. Angel Di Maria was in his prime. He was entering his peak when he signed for United. So they signed him then. They signed Radamel Falcao, who was also in his peak. A few years later, Pogba, Ibrahimovic. Hurry, right. hurry, hurry. Pogba and Ibrahimovic, I will grant you. But the point is, I don't credit Ole time, with that at all. Hurry, hurry. Is is, is, if we were always able to sign big players, why did the players I just listed off to you, why were they all starting? Why was our starting defense Phil Jones and Chris Smalling and Daly fucking Blinn and Ashley Young, who hadn't been talk, talk to Ed Woodward about that. Yeah, I, I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo was mistaking when he left Juventus. Yeah, I cannot wait to plan to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, an accomplished manager who's really uh, going to improve me as a player. No name a player. Name a manager Ronaldo no thinks he would improve player. under. I genuinely, okay. on, on his... Ronaldo, e- but maybe Jadon Sancho. Do you really think Jadon Sancho thought, oh, yeah, um, I, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a manager who's going to get the best out of me rather than Jurgen Klopp or I don't know. I don't know if he thought he'd get the best out of him, but all you Guardiola. have to do is look at Mason Greenwood's development as a finisher over the last couple of years. And and I, I can tell you, Ole might not be the best at everything, but he sure as shit has taught some of those guys how to finish. Let's, okay, let's, let's talk about that because I want to talk about where Ole doesn't succeed and where he's not going to be able to take this team further. Right, because okay, we all know he has a great offensive mind because he's a former striker himself. He does he not have a great him. offensive mind, Akshay. His great offensive mind is he brought Bruno in, and then Bruno okay. was creative, and Pogba was creative. He, Ole Ole's great thing that he did is take a Jose team that was being right. told. Couldn't even to, finish one sentence, so you go ahead. <laughs> I I'm gonna get this off my chest, and then I will mute myself and and let you guys go at it for a second. But Ole took a team that was first of all, Alex, miserable to watch. 
Like genuinely, I there was times when I was like, I don't even feel like watching United. Ole took a team that that I didn't want to watch. And I had, I with a month before Mourinho got fired, I had tickets to go to Old Trafford. And I was like, I, I'm genuinely thinking this is going to suck. And Ole took the team and made it fun to watch. He brought the biggest names in the world back to United over the course of three years. He got rid of a bunch of Deadwood in this team and really lit a fire under the asses of the 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 board to actually get it done, to get players in and get players out and turn the squad into a world-class squad. And that's progress. He made Manchester United play like Manchester United because football at its crux is supposed to be entertainment far before it is about winning. It's about, it's about, uh, oh, you owe the fans to play attacking football. This is the DNA of Manchester United. This is the DNA going back to Ferguson, going back farther to Busby. This is what United is about. Right. And Mourinho took United in the wrong direction. And what he has to show for it is a mediocre trophy in the Europa League and a second place finish that he claims uh, is his is, best accomplishment. Which is, by the way, more than anything Ole has accomplished in his three years at United. For the Ole record, could, Ole couldn't even win the Europa League. And for the record, I have more points with United than Ole ever had. Every in three fan years. at Manchester United, every single one would tell you right now. They liked watching United under Ole better than under Mourinho, even with the trophies. I promise you that. And so you have to understand that that, that is progress. And, and Ole is not the man to take United to the... progress. Over... It's not over, over maybe not... Years, it's not enough. I want to let Akshay get it here. Maybe but. not. Maybe not. Maybe at this point, it's time that you have decided Ole can't take you further. But you have to acknowledge what he's done for this club in the past years. And yes, it, it, the time is done. He has been a long-term caretaker. He originally was a short-term caretaker that we brought in from Molda, uh, and, and now he's been a long-term caretaker, and he's brought the club back to where it needs to be, and they need a world-class manager. He's but, absolutely not brought the club back to where it needs to be, number one. Uh, actually, I, he's I wanna, brought I them halfway back. He's brought them halfway back, and they need a, a world-class manager to take them the rest of the way, but you have to credit him with bringing them halfway back, and you have to remember what things were like before he was there. And just put it into context. I, I think things were better before, yeah, I think things were better before he, he was there. United were having a then miserable you're... half season. United were having a miserable half season. They fired Mourinho, but at least they're winning trophies. Uh, at least they're winning trophies in Mourinho. That's number one. Number two, this is all his third third full season in charge. Uh, well, his first full season, I think they, they got into the Champions League on the final day. His second full season, which was last season, they, they made were the comfortably League. into the Champions they League, were comfortably, at... but they also crashed out in the group stage. This is third full season. They're having trouble in the Champions League. They're right now they're out of the top four, but so over over three full seasons, it's it's just been top four, top four, and they're gonna get top. And, it, and in three and, seasons and under, four. that's not progress. And in three seasons yeah. under Jose, United, there were two seasons where we didn't finish top four. Manchester United, the expectations of that club aren't just finishing top four; it's winning titles. And after two full. Two seasons. Hurry, you've been a four. Liverpool man. You've been a Liverpool fan during the bad times. When yeah. when Liverpool was at its bad times, did you expect that immediately from the lows that they were at that they should be winning titles the next no, year? No, 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 I didn't. I didn't. But it's been a few years where United have been in the, in the top four. Now is the time for them to start looking at. So what are you arguing? The title. What are you arguing then? I mean, what what I'm arguing is that on the pitch it's been stagnant over the past three seasons. You think it that it's been stagnant seasons, over the, Do you think stagnant. That, that it's stagnant for three whole seasons? Or do you think they've made progress and over the last this half of a season and maybe the back half of last year they've been stagnant? Because I, I can tell you that they I, haven't. I think they've made a little bit of progress, but not as much as they should have made. Not as much as they should have made over three years. Okay. I, I, United, I guess we have to agree to disagree because. I mean, look, at the, look at the players. They when, when you sign, I mean, they finished second last year, comfortably in the top four. They signed Ronaldo, they signed Jaden Sancho, they signed Varane, and maybe a couple of other players that are missing. But the expectation is that that takes them to the next stage of competing for the title. That obviously hasn't happened, and that is a failure. And if yes. anything, so, so what you're saying now, is that this season is worse now than they did at any point last season. They've somehow gone backwards. I, I they should never at any point this season have looked worse than they did at any point last season. And they have somehow managed that despite signing, you know, again, despite the money they've sent, this, despite the, the players they've signed. And that's I, on Ole. That is completely on Ole. So yeah, he, he's, he's stabilized things in the season, in the, in the season he took over. 
But that, yeah, and he improved things, things in the season after that. And he improved things in the season after that. No, he didn't. So, so when they finished above Liverpool and above Chelsea, that was they got worse. They, they finished above Liverpool because Liverpool had their because Liverpool were injured. worse on points. You played yeah. thirty-eight Liverpool games and were worse. You played thirty-eight games and were worse. You think a full-strength Liverpool squad finishes behind United that season? You think a full-strength Liverpool? How many points did they get? Uh, let me let me just. By the way, that that Liverpool squad was top of the, uh, top of the table last Christmas until half their squad just collapsed. So um, that Liverpool squad took two points from a run of six or seven games across uh, that break, and so including Liverpool losing five were, straight at Anfield. Liverpool finished on sixty nine points last season. Two seasons ago, when they won the league title, they finished on ninety nine points. I, I, that doesn't happen. Liverpool regressed. Liverpool regressed by thirty points. Yes, because again, a ton of key players got injured. That's what happens when you're playing. So, 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 so what I want, what I'm hearing is Liverpool regressed by 30 points. Yes, that's a point. Liverpool regressed. It's not that United got better. It's not Liverpool got. So United passed them. Literally passed them. But that's not. That's again. It's not credit to Ole. You don't give credit to Ole on that. You give credit to uh, what's it? Pickford. Pickford deserves more credit for that than Ole. I, 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 I'm done with this. Uh, I'm not going to convince you that United have gotten better and you, you, oh, okay. Okay. All right. You're, you're going to be as delusional as you like, and just not remember three short years ago, what this United team was like, because you weren't living it week in and week out. No, they, and they it, were bad for that half. They're better than they were. For that they were bad season. for that whole year. They were year. better than they were for that half season. Now, if you they, look at the half the season where Ole took charge, Right, the second half of that season, yeah, they they improved, but I don't think they've improved. So I don't think they're that much better now. So then, so then the, the year after that, that when they, they and by the way, they beat PSG. Uh, uh, so the year after that, when they improved even more, it finished second, had a better squad, brought Bruno in. You think that they were worse somehow? So the 2018-2019 season, when Ole took over mid-season, they finished with 66 points. In the 2019-2020 to season, they finished with. 66 points they not they didn't they were not one point better in Ole's first year in charge than they were in the year that he took over not one single point sorry uh they were two places better they were liverpool better and yeah, they were chelsea that's because better. other teams got worse they also brought it do you think the team was better before or after it brought in bruno it was definitely better after they brought in bruno no question okay so that was in the second season okay again Ultimately, so, so they got better. Picture, they were not. They got a little bit. So better. they got they better. Barely improved them, but not. not oh my goodness! Should have. This over, is over three years. It's this is a sad. terrible revisionist history by Purry. And and Akshay, I'll let you take the wheels on why Purry is just terribly mistaken. Uh, Akshay has the wheel. <laughs> um. Uh, so I'll start by going back to the first point I wanted to make, which is that um, I think. Let's not call him a great attacking mind. Let's just, okay, let's say Ole, in terms of offense, definitely improved Manchester United. Our attack became much better, as Jeff pointed out. We started looking like we were Manchester United again. We started playing attacking-minded football as opposed to, you know, the Mourinho-style sit-back and wait to, you know, counterattack type of thing that we had going before Ole took over. So I think in terms of our offense, we are very much improved, and I give a lot of that credit to Ole as well as, you know, not only to his ability to develop the players we had, like Mason Greenwood most notably, but also just by, you know, his ability to finally convince Ed Woodward to sign some, you know, great attacking minds like Jaden Sancho, like Ronaldo, most notably this transfer. However, what continues to be our most glaring issue and what has remained our most glaring issue since Sir Alex Ferguson left is that our defense is absolutely shambolic on a regular basis. And this has not changed under Ole. It did not change any of the managers before him after Fergie left. And it still has not changed. And this season remains a glaring issue, even though we've continued to improve our defense, most notably at center back with the signing of Harry Maguire and then Rafael Varane a, a few inputs later. So I think what is my opinion now, at least on Ole, is that he has taken this club as far as he can. He's restored 
our attacking football style that we were so sorely lacking under managers before him, and which is really more true to how Manchester United plays and our identity as a club. But he has not improved our defense, and I put that on him because we've made the players, we've improved that talent pool in our defense, but it still has not improved. And so who do you, who would you then direct the blame to would be the manager. So okay. I think in that sense, Ole has taken us as far as he can. And we now need, I think Antonio Conte in that sense would be a great, uh, would be a great idea because he's a much more defensively minded coach who I think can, you know, light a fire under our center backs who have been vastly underperforming. Okay. Let's, let's get to Conte because I, I don't know if Conte is the right manager to bring in for a couple of reasons. The first one is that, the way he plays with three at the back and, and these high up wing backs is probably not going to work for Manchester United, given the personnel we currently have. First of all, I dare you to pick two strikers that United can play with. And then that's it. Two strikers. And then maybe Bruno in the midfield. Like that's really out of all the attacking options we have. That's what you're going to go with. Right. Like we have so many attacking options that I think that realistically a five at the back setup for him isn't going to work. Second of all, I don't think we have the wingbacks for a five at the back setup. Like Luke Shaw is truly an out and out left back. And as a wingback, I think he would lose some of his value. Uh, Bissaka can't play as a wingback in the slightest. He would be better off as a right center back. Luke Shaw would be better off as a right center back. We have, you know, like we just don't have the personnel to fit this system. And case in point for that, I think Conte's system, one of the best players to fit it at United at the right wingback spot would be Diogo Dallo. And that tells you everything you need to know about like why that system isn't going to work. And secondly, there's the worry that Conte will come back in and do similar things to what Mourinho did in terms of how the team play football. And I think it's less likely with Conte than it is with Mourinho, but he does tend to move from place to place very quickly. And so if you don't have the players there to take full advantage of that, which I don't think United do, then there's a very real risk that it doesn't work. So, you know, maybe they need to kind of press pause and, and really evaluate if Conte is the best option. Bring Conte in and ask him how he would put this Manchester United team together on a week-by-week basis and, and how he get these things to work together. Reach out for other options. See if, uh, you know, Pochettino is available from PSG because they honest, honestly and realistically might be looking at moving on from him. And maybe Manchester United can can put together a deal where, you know, that doesn't cost PSG as much money as it probably would. Maybe you look at a guy like Sedan who is available, um, who has managed, you know, Ronaldo and plenty of other world-class attacking stars before. I think Sedan would be the best choice for me. Uh, and so, Zidane has already expressed he's not interested though, no? Yeah. Uh, that, Akshay, Akshay, Manchester, United, Manchester United is a pound printing machine that could make Zidane be interested. Um, okay. I don't think that's <laughs> how it works, but sure. Uh, if you don't think football, that, of course, that, if you I don't mean, think that's on. how it works, you're not thinking of enough money. That's no. there's there's never enough money. Like I, I, I want to counter just point on on Antonio Conte. There are a few things about him. One, he wins trophies. United haven't won trophies for the past four years, and for a club of that stature and their ambition, that's unacceptable. With Conte, you know you're going to get trophies. He's won them at Juve. He's won trophies with Chelsea. He's won trophies with Inter. He wins league titles everywhere he goes. The football isn't. I don't think the football is not nearly as bad. Or, or unattractive as it is under Mourinho. I think Chelsea still played exciting football. Um, Agreed. I think Inter have still played. And Juve, yes, Chelsea, it, it is more defensive-minded, but I think it is still... But there's still more, a counter-attacking element. There's still there, a, there's a, bit, there's a flare. There's plan. a flare going forward in Conte's sides that you know you don't necessarily see under Mourinho. And, so and about the think, about I, the wingbacks? No, because that, that's my genuine worry. Well, is Conte that, also played a three... I think there's a, there's, a, there's a legitimate worry about the wing backs. When you said that he's, I don't think he's necessarily going to go with, with two attackers. I think the three, five, two is a formation very specific to Serie A. But if you look at where, I mean, if you look uh, at how Conte lined up at Chelsea, he did a three, four, three. And he still got the best out of Eden Hazard. He got the best out of Diego Costa. Uh, he got a best of, uh, he got, you know, a lot of Pedro. So he still made really good use out of a lot of the attacking players in that side. Now I'd expect that he does the same at United. He, the, my worry about uh, a three, four, three is that yes, you fit in more of the pieces. You can start, you know, Ronaldo, Rashford and Greenwood, or even if you want to play that, uh, the kind of more aggressive style and, and, you know, you're willing to, to bench him. I, I honestly think that this side might be better off with Ronaldo coming off the bench if you're able to do that. And I don't think Ole is, but maybe Conte is, is you know, has the backing to be able to do that. I mean, that, that's the other side of the coin, though, because Ronaldo and, Ronaldo and Conte, if they have beef with each other, that can get explosive. 
That can get explosive very, very quickly. That can dry things down very, very quickly. So I I think Conte is going to have to play Ronaldo if he comes in. There's there's no no scenario where Ronaldo does not start every game. Then then, then here's my question. Assuming you put Ronaldo up top and you have these pacey, willing-to-press wingers like like Greenwood and Rashford, um, a couple of questions come into play. The first one is, is Bruno part of your midfield too? Is Pogba part of your midfield too? Like who fits into those two spots where realistically they're going to have to do a lot of work on defense. They're also going to be responsible for certain amounts of the creative aspects. And, you know, and well, then who Pogba fits. thrived under Conte at Juventus. Yes, but let's say let... he was in a three, five, two, you know, yeah. he had guys like Vidal. Who he was he, did, but, he was in yeah, a three, five, two, and he had license work. to, he had license to, to be a little more creative. Um, He's also older and I think less less willing to take a destroyer position. Uh, whereas at that Juve team, especially when he was young, he had just left Fergie. Uh, he was probably more willing to work um, and and really you know provide the industry and and make that work. But United just have have a team where you know wingbacks are not the position you want to take advantage of. And in a three at the back, you really have to have those wingbacks that are that are going to make a, a, that system work. And I don't think United has that at which point the rest of it is irrelevant. Like, I think he has to come in and play a four at the back. I think like just for the team United has, it's hard to switch from, from Shaw, Maguire, Ferran, Wambasaka, and, and, and play with, with what you have in front of that. And, you know, maybe it's a, it's a more, you know, kind of reserved, 4-4-2, maybe it's a 4-2-3-1, whatever. Maybe it's a 4-3-3. Whatever it is ahead of that, realistically, for the team United have, probably uh, it makes more sense. Unless you can convince... I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think who you could get to play on the wingback spots that would be good. Luke Shaw could do it, but the other wing seems to be a serious problem. Um, Wambasaka could tuck in as a, as a right center back, uh, taking on uh, opposing wingers. Realistically, he'd be probably great in that position. You also have the option to go with Lindelof, Maguire, and Veron, uh, and, and play a guy like Diogo up, uh, kind of up the side of the pitch where he's looked okay. But there's really, you know, unless you could, could get, you know, a player like, like Sancho to play in that position, uh, which I think would be a disaster for a number of reasons on the defensive side. But that's the kind of guy who you would need to play there in terms of providing the creativity. Uh, really. Yeah, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm worried about the personnel that United have for Conte, and I think they should probably pursue other options unless Conte can sell them on a way to set up with four at the back or a convincing way to show how five at the back would work for this squad. One. Yeah, and I, I think, Jeff, what you're saying is, is all true. And I think those are the downsides of Conte is one, you know, he's going to have to, there are two main downsides with both of which you touched on. One is that, you know, the formation is an issue. I think United's form, current formation is, suits them just fine. I don't think that's the issue. I'll touch on that in a second. Um, but, you know, obviously Conte prefers much more defensive formations that, you know, we might not be ready for. So that's one thing. And I, obviously the second is, yeah, he is, he does not have a great red track record when it comes to dealing with large personalities, you know. Uh, that was ultimately one of the things that bit him in the back at Chelsea. Uh, and, you know, obviously it's going to be a huge issue at Manchester United as well. And most mainly Ronaldo is touched on. So, yes, those are the downsides. But I think, still think he's a good option if he's willing to adapt. Um, I do want to speak to the formation thing more, though, because I think that, you know, our, our, the current formation is not the issue, right? The, the, the style that we're playing, uh, even you could say, is not the issue. The issue is the players especially on defense, is that we have marquee defensive players who are not playing up to their potential and their, you know, their transfer fees. Harry Maguire has been overall shambolic this season. He, you know, he's had a couple of good performances, but against Liverpool, that was probably the worst match I've ever seen him play, possibly ever, even going back to his days at Leicester City. Rafael Varane has been rather disappointing. He's brought some stability to the center, you know, center of the pitch, but you know, he's had fitness issues. He's been out for, I think, a few matches now. And he hasn't really lived up to his bill either. He and hasn't. Was, well, it's early, it's yeah. early for Veron now. Veron hasn't done anything to not live up to his bill. He just hasn't been around. Fine. Okay. Then let's talk about Aaron Juan Basaka. Uh, possibly has regressed the most of any of the defensive signings we've made since Ole came in. Uh, Aaron Juan Basaka, when we first got him, his first season was excellent. He was one of our players of the year for sure. But since then, it seems like he's gotten worse every year. He regularly neglects defensive duties. He seems reluctant to go up as a wingback, as you said, Jeff. So really, 
Uh, at this point, I'm I'm concerned about what he thinks his role with the team is. Uh, does he want to be a more defensive-minded fullback, in which case he really needs to improve his defensive positioning and his general effort that he puts in on defense, his work ethic just seems to regress every match, just looking at his body language and the way he moves around the pitch. Uh, it's just, it's really questionable to me. Uh, or does he want to be a wingback? Does he want to be someone who could fit into more of a formation that we're talking about with Conte, where he plays uh, either on the left or the right as a true wingback and is more uh, of an offensively-minded fullback type of defensive player? Uh, he can't really just seem to decide which one he wants well, to be, I, and you know you can put that partially on Ole. If I do. Be, I put that on either. Ole because I don't think he, I don't think that well, the, the instructions are clear. I think under a manager like Conte, everyone will know their exact role, right? And okay, function so in maybe the you, I think the instructions. Okay, maybe you have an excuse for one the soccer then, but what is Maguire's excuse? What is Maguire's excuse for continually? And we can we can say this. Uh, we can speak to the Liverpool match specifically uh, on almost every single goal that Liverpool scored. That their attack was started because Harry Maguire was playing so far up the pitch. He was playing ridiculously far. He was playing beyond Scott McTominay. Scott McTominay was behind him. You, look, if you that look at Liverpool's first goal, if you are a center back, if, if you, you look are a at defensive the center back of, of United's players during Liverpool's first goal, it's actually like it's it's laughable. You the have no idea back, who's like, even part of the back four. The you have no idea who's closest to Keita, and Keita is like you know mid center of the pitch. He's in. He, He's probably like just outside, if not just inside the United States 18-yard box. Like put it like dead center of the pitch, right? The player who's closest to him is Luke Shaw. Luke yep. Shaw. It's it's not McGuire. It's not Lindelof. And it's Shaw coming in like from way out left. And adding on to that, it's absurd. Uh, you'll see that after. And, and not only that, not only that listen, you have Robertson. Out. You have Robertson on the other side, who Salah kind of picked out. He picked out Keita. Right. Right, I mean, right. he had two no, they had, on all three of Liverpool's first goals, they had multiple options that could have scored, um, uh, and mostly because of Harry Maguire's lackings. But let's uh, let's speak to that. On each of Liverpool's first three goals, what do you see Harry Maguire do as soon as the goal is scored? He turns to Luke Shaw and looks at him incredulously as if it was his responsibility to cover that space. So there seems to be such a disconnect. Harry Maguire is our defensive captain. Yes, undisputed. Has been for the past few seasons. So how is it that he is still having misunderstandings with his long-standing fullbacks about who's supposed to cover what space? That is inexcusable if you are a defensive captain, let alone our marquee center back. You know, and Rafael Varane has now joined him in that category, but Varane, as we said, has not really played enough for us to evaluate him. That's fair. I'm probably judging him too harshly early on. But Harry Maguire has no excuses at this point. He didn't have any excuses last season, and he still has no excuses. And I really do not understand, uh, you know, where this has come from, why his regression has been so sharp so suddenly. And that's why I really would think about getting us a new manager that can really, you know, light a fire under some of these defensive players that have been underperforming so incredibly. No, um, definitely, definitely agree to Akshay. But I think we, we've talked a lot about, about Solskjaer and, and his future. Um, there's another manager who, who is under fire, uh, he's, he's received a lot of criticism. Ronald Koeman, a third straight Classico defeat. Barcelona are, let's see what they are at the table, well outside the top four. Um, is, he, is he truly under fire or is he sitting on a job because they can't afford to fire him? It's, it's more the latter. But they're outside the top four by three points. Right now they're ninth in the table. They have a game in hand against a couple of teams. But it's been an absolutely – I mean, look, if Barcelona could have fired him by now, they would have, obviously. Yeah, Barcelona they would have. can't fire him, and that's the problem. Like, they're, they're trying to figure out what to do about the fact that they have a manager that they physically can't afford to fire who they don't want. And, uh, you know, the, the solution is really, you know, wait until someone comes and asks for him. And right now, the way he's managing, I don't think anyone's going to come asking for him. I think could come asking for him. No, thank you. Who would you rather have, Coleman or Solskjaer? No, nah, I mean, even, honestly, I would even Solskjaer. take Solskjaer. I would even uh, take right now, Solskjaer, you're yeah. not even yeah. close. No, and yeah. and I mean, as, as much of a joke as it is, when, when Ole is gone, and I, you know, it's sometime before the new year, realist, hopefully, you know, the next transfer window, uh, United moves on and they, they have it taken care of. They either, uh, you know, they, they put something together with the new manager uh, and they, they come to the right decision because the, the next manager hire being the wrong decision is far worse than keeping Ole for the rest of the season and then finding someone in the next season. Yeah, I, I mean, I just, I, I want to go back to, to Barcelona though. In terms of, 
I mean, look, we're not expecting Ole to last, and I don't think many of us are expecting Komen to last. Um, so I, I kind of want to talk about who do you guys think would be suitable replacements for, for Komen in that Barcelona dugout? Because, I, you know, if, if you look at Barcelona's squad on paper, it's really not that bad. They, they have a good go guys like Antifati, Aguero, De Jong, Busquets, PK. Obviously not what it was, right? But y- you still think should finish top four comfortably, solid round of 16 side. Um, and it's just the frustrating thing is it's all, you know, the, the fact that Komen isn't getting enough out of them, it's almost irrelevant because they can't even, they can't do anything about it, right? So it's a tricky situation, but when, they let's just say... They yeah, won't be ahead. looking until the new year, and I think it's it's a little premature to start speculating on who they would be looking for in the new year because realistically we don't know who else might get sacked. Maybe Pochettino's available for them. Maybe uh, like there there are a bunch of other options um, of guys who may be looking for new jobs in the summer uh, who aren't looking for new jobs right now. So like I and that's that's right that's where I'm at with United is I'm almost curious if you know if they don't if they can't agree with Conte on how the team should be built and they don't, they don't like the direction the team is going uh, or would go under Conte, I could see United waiting out the year and it would, it would suck because I would expect it to be a grind to get top four. And like, you know, I still expect this team to win uh, their champions league group stage. Uh, But beyond that, um, like it, it would be a, it would be a tough question of like, you know, then what, what are expectations and, and can they perform at all? But, like it's 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 tough for these these huge clubs to not spend the time looking like if they decide new manager barcelona's already decided for sure united probably should have decided after this weekend new manager search uh is is a full swing but it takes time to get it right and getting it wrong has disastrous consequences united has gotten it wrong a number of times in a row um david moyes was was incorrect uh, Louis van Gaal was incorrect. And for my money, Jose was incorrect. Um, regardless of the results he brought, Jose should not have been brought in because you knew he wasn't going to do things the United way. And uh, Manchester United needs to spend the time to make sure they get this one right. Maybe it is Pochettino in the summer. Maybe it's convincing Zidane to to uh, come back, you know, into the touchline, you know, onto the touchline. Maybe it's a different option. Maybe it's um, letting a guy like Graham Potter see what he can do with a world-class roster. But uh, I think they should take take the time, take potentially a couple of months if that's what it takes to make sure they get this decision right. Because getting it wrong could set United back years and years. And getting it right could mean that they're contending for a title next year. But on to the fun stuff, on to the reason that, uh, that you all tuned in. Perry's still muted. Um, we, we do have to touch on a certain, um, a certain Saudi invasion of the far, far north in uh in england yeah i mean that was probably results aside um that was probably the biggest storyline over over the past few weeks undoubtedly um and it 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 changes a lot of things obviously i mean you know there's going to be another team competing at the top i I don't think it changes that much though in, in terms of is there going to be? Buy, I don't buy the idea that Newcastle is going to like monopolize the Premier League and the Premier League is going to become no. what league on it, right? No. Like, there's still going to be a lot of competition. There's still plenty of good players out there, and it's not like other teams won't be capable of putting together a world class side that can challenge them. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, if it, you know, the, the worst case scenario is it turns out like Man City did, where we now have a team that is so infuriatingly dominant and incapable of you know being anything less than invincible, at least until recently. Um, that you know we get that type of deal which and, and even at that even when city were at their absolute absolute peak um which you could argue is at a number of points um you know the premier league was still very competitive and still fun to watch right even if you knew that if your team was playing city they had a significantly lower chance of winning um so that for me is the worst case scenario at least for the premier league as a whole as a result of this takeover i don't is um, that even a worst case scenario like this is just another like world class team that gets into to England, and maybe it causes problems. Yeah, we don't even know if it's going to be world class, right? Uh, but, right but, oh, it won't, right? If, my, for no, my right, money, right, it won't right be world class for three or four years. This is going to be a long yeah, yeah. and expensive project because, first if of all, right. 
How no no no? How do you convince world class players? Yes, they're gonna have a huge budget next year. But how do you convince world class players to play on a cold, rainy night in Soak when they're in the championship next year? No one they bring in in January is saving this Newcastle team. Let's assume they get relegated. Yeah, and I, I think survival is, survival, not, survival is by no means a guarantee. Right. Uh, especially, we don't know who they're going to bring. I mean, we don't know if they're going to stick with their current interim manager. We don't know if they're going to bring in someone to finish out the season and try to keep them up. We don't know. You know, maybe we might even see Allardyce with Newcastle soon. So we don't know. Um, but, but even if Newcastle get relegated, I, I think that's that's going to be, you know, a small step backwards. But in, in the long haul, I don't think it's going to do much. If no. Newcastle get relegated, they're going to buy up the best players in the championship and get promoted. And as soon as they get promoted, which they absolutely will, then, you know, then, then the Premier League, uh, it's, not, it's not at their mercy, but I think a lot of things are w- within their control at that point. I, you I, know, I, really? You really think that the Premier League is in their control with Klopp's Liverpool? No. With, yeah. Klopp's not going to be around forever. It is. No, sure, but Perry, you're talking he's about be like. around for a good long while, Perry, the way he's been performing. For, with, <laughs> with Klopp's Liverpool. He's not going to be around forever. He's with not Klopp's gonna, I mean, Liverpool, with Pep City, with Chelsea getting that sweet, sweet Russian oligarch money, with Manchester United, not get as much as you want. They're still the biggest commercial giant in sports. Uh, like, they're not going. Manchester United is not going anywhere in terms of having the monetary ability to build a world-class team. Like, like yes, Newcastle now has the ability to compete with the best of the best. You still have to convince people to, one, move to Newcastle, two, join a team that's probably going to get relegated, or at the very worst, has a bottom half team in terms of talent so it's going to be a long I'm process right now but not like oh, I'm, I'm talking two years from now though and two it's years from be, now it's going to be a very yeah, even two years is too soon two years even from now is too soon is way too because soon. it's when it's when they're going to start recruiting the big names though yes, at least making yes, significant yes, but slowly very like realistically who right now who's a world name player that right now would move to newcastle i don't know i can see someone like Coutinho going to besides alan so maximum okay we said world-class players uh yeah i know we did i mean i, I could see like continue going right maybe a deep ball in a few years um you know not, not players who are going to get into ball, that would be <laughs> okay but not players who are going to get into like you know man city or liverpool starting 11 but players yeah. who are going to certainly elevate this not team players that, that could get into a man power. city or a living or a liverpool bench not players that could get into a chelsea also, bench not players okay, that could get into that, a, give me, okay let's okay. uh let's keep in That's mind here true. Let's That's keep in true. mind here. City didn't win their first title after they after their own Saudi Arabian inje- in, in, injection of money, right? They didn't win that first title by having. Oh, sorry, just just for actually, the record, was, for yeah, the record, it was yeah, it was very very definitely not Saudi Arabia, who's like hundreds of times richer than uh, like okay. like Saudi Arabia. Like I know we joke about how stupid mega rich city is. Saudi right. Arabia Semantics. is like literally hundreds of times richer. Okay, whoever took over Man City, whatever shake it was in whatever country, my point is they yeah, did Mark's... not win their first title with an all-world-class roster. They still had guys like Micah Richards and James Milner starting regularly, right? So they don't have James, to have James Milner. Hold, hold on, hold on. Put some respect on no. James Milner's name. Put okay. absolutely Side zero down. respect put on that. Respect. Oh my he's God. been a passenger on every team he's ever been on. Break. Okay, sorry. Go ahead, Akshay. <laughs> he's like Jeff me on wrong. a soccer pitch, a passenger. Jeff is wrong. Go ahead, Akshay. Okay. Let me just get my headphones on again. <laughs> uh, the point is, they don't. Newcastle does not have to return to contention as a Premier League team with an all-world-class roster. They can do it as City did by making several marquee signings in uh, to increase the chemistry of their team. Right? It's not just about bringing in big names who are going to make big plays. They have to be able to work together. Right? If you do only the first thing, you end up like Barcelona has. Right? So Newcastle needs to learn from that. And if they have good leadership, not just the money behind it, but good leadership behind it as well, they need to recognize, right? They don't have to bring in all these world-class names right away. They need to bring in some marquee signings to attract then slightly lower tier players to want to play alongside them and be motivated to play at their highest level alongside these marquee signings to win, right? That's very much what happened at City. Guys like Micah Richards had had mediocre careers, but as soon as City brings in guys like Aguero and Yaya Torre, suddenly Micah Richards is having the best season of his career. Why is that? Because they brought in those big names that motivate your lower tier players to strive for more, to believe that they can contribute to something more than a middle table place finish, correct? 
So Fun Newcastle does not have to do everything at once. They just have to bring in the right manager. I think the big key thing that we're not talking about. Eventually, they have to bring in the right manager, someone who's going to be able to work not only with big name egos for the players that they're going to bring in that are marquee signings, but also is going to be able to motivate those lower tier players to play up to that level that is needed to make Newcastle truly legitimate. On top of that, I mean, one of the things we do have to credit City for is the fact that guys like um, Phil Foden and Jaden Sancho, among many others, have come out of their academy. And oftentimes, guys that come out of their academy end up having, you know, fine careers elsewhere because you can't get into the Man City 11. But Man City has, they have overhauled their academy in the last decade, and, and they're starting to see some of the fruits of that labor. And Newcastle would be very smart to do the same thing. But one of the things we do need to note is that there is serious... Chelsea as well, by the way. Chelsea as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. credit to Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they... Out. They have a little bit of an advantage of of having an academy in London and being Chelsea uh, to the point where, you know, by the time they were churning out these players, they ha- they are also, you know, one of the best, uh, you know, they're, they're a huge team in London. It's hard. It was harder for Man City. They had to spend the money on infrastructure and resources and signing a lot of these teenagers because they struggled for a little bit with Manchester United being their neighbors uh, in terms of an academy. And now United's academy is, hasn't had money spent on it. That's a separate point. Uh, I wanted to get to the news that happened that came out rather recently that the owners of the Premier League are seriously considering, and I mean the other 19 owners, uh, placing a rule specifically against Newcastle using ownership sponsorships. Why is this relevant? Because obviously uh, this is how Man City and uh, Chelsea and, and these big teams with huge cash injections, this is how they get the injections in a financial fair play regulated kind of way. They have to have money in somehow. Usually it's you know, these shady sponsorship deals where Man City, you know, receives 50 billion pounds a year uh, for, you know, for their jersey sponsorship and for the naming rights to their stadium or whatever. And that's how they get money in so that they can spend money out on players and obscene wages and things like that. Now, if the other managers come together and say Newcastle aren't allowed to do that, then things get a lot more difficult. Obviously, they'll have money now. They have a huge fan base that they can leverage. Uh, They have Premier League TV money, but there's a serious risk that, you know, they would have to do things in a much longer process. They'll still get to the top, but it would take nine, 10 years rather than three, four, five. If the other owners come in and do this and worse than that, if they really do get relegated, the financial rules in the championship and in league football in, in the non premier league exempt English football are much stricter to the point where point deductions have been given out in the championship a couple of times recently. And realistically if Newcastle end up down there it 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 extends how long it would take them by a couple of years well i mean the point is regardless it's going to take an incredible amount of patience right regardless of whether they have the financial you know freedom to go out and spend big money and sign and get all those sponsorship deals that'll bring in you know huge amounts of money to spend on players or whether they're not going to be able to do that, it's still going to take a long time and it's going to be very much a case of trust the process, right? So it's going to take a huge amount of patience, more patience than most Premier League teams are used to or practice in theory. Uh, And, you know, it's going to take a lot of patience from, you know, a a fan base that has already been extremely patient and, you know, willing to tolerate a lot of very, you know, dark, unentertaining years of football. Look, all love to Steve Bruce. His players seem to have loved him, but he did not play an entertaining football, right? And the fans had to put up with that for years. So it's going to take, regardless of how long it's going to take, it's going to take an incredible amount of patience, not just by the fans and by the players, but by ownership, most importantly. But I, I do think the other side of that, though, is that I th- when I think the, um, the, the owner, city's owner purchased them in 2008, they won a title four years later. So I mean, exactly. That's the minimum. I think for Newcastle, it's a four-year minimum. I don't think, I don't think it's gonna. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be at least four years. But I don't think we're gonna be talking like nine or ten years before they're like. See, that, that's, it, that's I mean, assuming my they point is, if they get relegated and the uh, or story. or if the league truly does, you know, enact these uh, money restrictions that make it harder for them to balloon the amount of money they spend, that's where it could take nine or ten years. I'm saying right now at a baseline. It's three or four years. Relegation yeah. probably adds a couple of years. Uh, if the if the new rules go into effect in terms of Premier League spending, that probably adds a couple of years on top. Um, right. So, so like, so, you know, it so could my, balloon to nine or ten. Yeah, and my conclusion from hearing all of this, you know, is it's absolutely vital that Newcastle stay up this season. 
and they need to, I think that's their, that needs to be their priority for the rest of this season is we need to make sure we don't get relegated because that prolongs our rebuild, like you said, Jeff, by realistically at least two years. So, so what if they do stay up? Assuming they do stay up, then how long are we looking at, do you think, before Newcastle are competing or, try, or breaking into that top four? And, then, and how long is it before they're winning a title? Because to tell the truth, I really don't. I mean, look, city, City's rise is very rapid. But here, I just, I don't know why. I don't quite with know the number how long. Of teams, I know it's going to happen, but I can't with, quite put like a good estimate on how with, soon it will be. With the number of teams at the top, I think that it's going to be even more difficult. Like, think about when City made their, you know, yeah, epic climb. Exactly. They did it uh, at a point in time where... Uh, Chelsea were tanking. Chelsea were tanking for for a bit, I but believe. but but even then you yeah. can you can say that Chelsea was a good side. That early 2010s Chelsea team was a good side. So Chelsea well, was in 2010. Exactly, exactly. That so well, Chelsea okay, okay. So, Chelsea was a title winning team around that time. Manchester United was a title winning team at that time. Arsenal not really. No, they were more of a top four team. Liverpool not really. Liverpool, Spurs no. They did it when their competition was two clubs. Realistically, in three or four years, the competition should be four or five clubs minimum, at least. Uh, uh, if yeah. not, I mean, we're at least we're including we're including United, City, Liverpool, uh, and Chelsea. I mean, Chelsea. Those, and those are two to be. We, I mean, we realistically, I mean, realistically, if we're going, if we're saying that Newcastle is going to go with the approach, I think they should go with where they don't sign big names entirely right away. We can throw Leicester in that mix as well. Lester in that mix, you can throw if they keep Kane, you can throw Spurs in that mix. Yes, but Lester, we have to throw Spurs in as well. So that's okay, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think in five years Lester are going to be in that mix. I we'll just, see. I, I think they're I having mean, a good few years, but Lester have shown it's, incredible it's, it's, it's longevity. It's a lot to say that in five years, Leicester will be in five years. From yeah, that's let's not forget. That's different. Forget. I mean, West Ham is on the rise right now. Yeah, again, again. West Ham's on the rise. Actually, now. I mean, actually West Ham's on the rise in the same way that Arsenal game. was on the rise. Like th- those teams will ebb and flow. Mm, Arsenal, West Ham will ebb and flow between uh, competing for fourth and competing for tenth over the next five years. Like, yeah, like it's, they will have years uh, when they're up, and good. they'll have years when they're down. But when we're talking about teams that are in the Champions League mix and also have aspirations of titles, I don't think Arsenal are in that. But like, I promise you, Tottenham when they start the year, they look at you know, obviously right. this year maybe maybe not, but like in the past five years, Tottenham has had title hopes. Leicester have had title hopes. United, City, Chelsea, Liverpool have had. T- I'm talking about at the start of the year. How many teams yeah. have had realistic title hopes? I mean, the it's, point is right. It's tons of competition. It's they're going to have tons of competition. It's but going I, I to be a fact that they're able to buy yeah. their opponents out. It's, it's going to help. They're going and to be you, able to beat. They're going to be able to beat Liverpool and Arsenal, and you know maybe not Chelsea or City, but Liverpool or Arsenal. They'll be able to beat and Leicester certainly, and possibly even United. They're going to be able to beat to to big players because they're going to be able to offer a lot more money. And I, I think what concerns that, Alex, that's not that's not how you. That, if if that was the case, United would have a way stronger squad. We would have had a way stronger squad three years ago than we even did now. Yeah, money okay. isn't the amount of money you can offer is not the only thing. Like we said, Newcastle has to be able to attract these players. They these players have to, say, have to want to come to Newcastle and expect that they'll want to come. City, City were able to attract these players. Chelsea and, were able to attract these players. Uh, yes, they, they were, but but we have to we have to also pause and remember a couple of things. Is that one of the reasons Chelsea was able to attract players uh, is the fact that they're in London, and while Manchester is nowhere near London, it's also a whole lot better than Newcastle. Not that much better, but I, I, mean, I don't really. <laughs> well, Manchester like, City. Like, the part that like, Manchester City is in. That that's my point. Is that, that the part that yeah. the football players are and realistically, yes, the, you know. They can yeah. probably do something like that at, at Newcastle, but but the the nightlife and the fun parts of Newcastle aren't nearly as fun right. as they are in other parts uh, of. I mean, Puri, we can extend this this analogy to PSG as well, right? PSG had a very similar rise to City. I don't know as much about their rise, so correct me, guys, if I say something wrong. But PSG had a similar influx of money from foreign investors, right? Basically, a foreign from ownership state. group. Yeah, sure, from a state, essentially. Uh, very similar rise to City. But why were they able to rise so quickly and so successfully? Because realistically, they had one, maybe two teams that they had to beat out. Those being AS Monaco and Lyon. You could maybe, maybe throw Marseille in there, but Marseille were already on the decline by the time PSG was uh, having you know their ownership. So, and not to mention the fact that PSG obviously is Paris, one of the most attractive cities in the world, let alone in France and in Europe. So no problem getting players to want to come and play for that club in that city. 
So, you know, Jeff's right. And it's not just about the money. It's not just about being able to throw hundreds of millions of pounds or euros at top names. You have to be able to present them with an attractive offer outside of finances. How is your team's youth academy? How good is your coach? How much does your coach want me here? Not just how much uh, do you want me here? How much does your coach want me here? How much do the other players want me here? How much are the other players ready to work with me? How that, much, that's, the case, that's the case in any club, though, is it not? That's any the case, exactly, yeah. that's the case in any that, club. Okay, but so why is Newcastle an exception? <laughs> Even if they I, have I mean, so the much point, money the, the point them. is, if, if other rich teams can put it together, then why can't Newcastle? No, I mean, we're I, not the thing is, Newcastle I don't can't think, do don't, it, but we're saying it's not just about the money. No, that's they true. But at the same time, as, as a Liverpool fan, as a Liverpool fan, part of me is a bit concerned because I don't think Newcastle like they're not going to like win the league every year. Obviously not. But I, I almost worry that this is another team that we have to sort of worry about that's a threat to our, you know, top four status. Nah. And look, Liverpool aren't going to be competing for the league every year. You're, you're cl- right now, Liverpool are in, you know, a, a very good period over the past few years. They've been competing at the very, very top. It's not going to be the case forever. Jurgen Klopp's not going to be around forever. I mean, I'm looking five years from now, right? That's another team now that is, is a threat to, to Liverpool's top four hopes. And that if, if we get to a point where, let's just say, you know, Liverpool miss out in the top four, right? Newcastle steal their place. Then all of a sudden, players want to go to, to Newcastle, not Liverpool. Liverpool's not like such a fascinating city either, right? But they, they've, been a, they've been able to attract, you know, a ton of big names. That's partly because... Historically, uh, the club is a lot of prestige, but at the same time, Liverpool, yeah, there are things Liverpool has outside the city itself too, right? They have the football heritage of Liverpool. Liverpool is a footballing city, and it has been for centuries, right? Newcastle doesn't necessarily have that. Newcastle's heritage comes almost entirely from their really early success in the first years of the Premier League, right? And since then, they haven't really done anything. So. It's, I'd, I'd say there's a difference there in terms of Liverpool has the history and they have a history like Manchester United, right? Where Manchester, again, is not the greatest city in the world, not the most attractive city, but because it has that footballing heritage and has always been known as a football city, similar to how Liverpool has been viewed, right? And to, for international footballers abroad, when they think of Liverpool, they think of football, football alone, right? That alone is going to be enough to attract players to Liverpool. I, so I there's do a think difference so. there. I mean, I think I think there's a case worth making Actually, that once Newcastle locked down the top four spot, it will be theirs. I I I don't know about that. I think City that, City, since they finished top four for the first time in 2010, 2011, have never finished out to the top if four. Newcastle, if Newcastle top four if Newcastle get a pep tier coach, then then we'll then we'll be then we'll have some conversations. Yeah. And the thing is there aren't that, that that's the other side. there aren't that many pep tier coaches, right? So like Guardiola is an exceptional coach and what he did with that Manchester There are City two team. there are two pep tier coaches coaches right now. Pep and Klopp. Klopp and Klopp exactly. Yeah. Right. And so if, if Newcastle get let's just say, you know, a a coach like who can who can win leagues but isn't at quite at that level, I'm thinking I don't know, maybe for example an Allegri or or a Conte. What about it, it's a uh, what about also, Navisman, uh, yeah. All right, we'll see well, how he does with uh, Bayern, right? Now, yeah. I mean, I mean, having uh, we'll said see that, how he like, does with Bayern, it's hard not to do well with Bayern. I mean, they're one of the most perennial uh, leagues. What's going to what's going to define Nagelsmann's time at Bayern is obviously what they do in the Champions League. Yes, and I yeah, think, and, and yeah, and I want to I want to pull back slightly um, on, on something Akshay said. Like, it's not like this Newcastle United team. Obviously, they don't have the tier of success that Liverpool has um, in their history, but you know, they have a fair number of first division titles. You know, dating all the way back to the early 1900s, they won the FA Cup three times in five years in the 50s and early 60s. Uh, you know, they, they struggled for a little bit, but they, you know, they have been at or near the top for, for a couple different times. They have a very long history. They have a very, very committed fan base who will uh, will turn this team into it. Like they will probably, you know, you know the fans are going to help this team on well, their ascent. Some of the, the best in the Premier League. There's no doubt about that. And they, sure. they have the fans. They have maybe not, you know, the world's greatest history. They don't even have an Everton here to your history, but they have a history uh, and a serious one. This isn't like uh, a PSG. They've uh, also, in that sense. They've also mm. played in the Champions League. Let's not forget that. I mean, th- at the early 2000s, yeah, they, they, were, they were a Champions League side. Not a good one, but yeah, they were in there. Yeah, but still, I mean, <laughs> they're a Champions League side. So you, you obviously have right, some. Okay, some but, you know, listen, players. listen, listen. They aren't of the caliber of the elite tier Champions League sides. You know, your, your Bayerns, your Real Madrids, your your Sheriffs. They're not yeah, in course. that tier. <laughs> but 
Uh, you know, but 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 they are in that in that. Is, you know, is anyone there. in the tier, Sheriff? No one's in Sheriff. Sheriff's no in one's Sheriff is in a weird okay. little tier all their own. That's oh, the, sorry, they're in a weird little tier all their own called the Greatest of Europe. <laughs> and my jersey's on its way, baby. My jersey is on its way. That's the real Halloween costume, right there. My DHJ eighteen dollars Sheriff jersey. Eighteen dollars. Oh yeah, baby. We we bargain bin this love, one we love sheriff we, this was this sheriff. is off of a chinese factory even, floor did you even have to go to a bargain bin for that it, actually this is off of some chinese factory floor baby this was a, this was in the scrap <laughs> sheriff is spelled wrong it actually just says deputy where else are you gonna get a sheriff like what major vendor is gonna sell a sheriff jersey like i'm pretty sure hot it's only i'm sorry hot topic hot yeah topic. no but really like that, that how dare you question. disrespect the great nike store in Tiraspol, okay. Are they even it, sponsored by Nike? I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. There you go. There you go. But yeah, I'll leave, leave your comments below. Uh, if you like this episode, feel free to like and subscribe. No, just kidding. We're not on YouTube. Hit us um, with those five star ratings, okay. and maybe we'll read your rating out loud on Apple Podcasts if we ever get on there. Oh, I need to. I need to work on that. By the way. I, yeah. I also, know, also, yeah. our audience, yeah, please who, uh... shame Purry on Twitter until he gets us on Apple Podcasts. Please yeah, my, my Twitter is at Perry Alexander. So feel free to feel free to send me all the mean tweets you would like. Um, I can take them. I hope. In in all seriousness, though, I mean, I don't know. Saturday was a good day for me, at least personally. Uh, or not Saturday, Sunday. Sunday was a good day for me, at least personally. I watched two minutes of the United game. Decided I had had enough. Went grocery shopping. I uh, didn't look at the final result, turned on red zone right at one o'clock. I know there was still match time left, but I'm sure United won. So I just turned on red zone uh, and then immediately watched uh, my Jets lose their starting quarterback uh, for at least two to four weeks with a knee. Oh, poor, poor um, Mormon. Poor, poor Mormon boy with the hottest mom I have ever seen. Yeah, is his mom hot? His mom. Have you seen Zach Wilson's mom? <laughs> I'll give him a half brother. Oh, my God. Um, But. Seriously, the only the only joy I get in sports as, uh, you know, the Astros are going to win another fucking World Series. Um, don't say that. Don't say that. The Astros no, are going to another please, the Astros please, are going to win another World Series. Yet. I don't want to lose hope yet. The Astros are going to win another World Series. The Premier League makes me sad. Uh, <laughs> my newfound fandom for the Jets has already crushed my spirits. Um, wow, what a surprise. But my, fa- American football. my fantasy team at least is is bouncing back and is easily the best team in the league on paper and, and most importantly uh ohio state's gonna win the natty this year uh so <laughs> that is <laughs> yeah you can take that Akshay, uh you know we've averaged like 55 points a game that's it's college football that means nothing no it means something even even in college football when you average that many points a game it's seven weeks into the year it means something All that's right. that's a little bit absurd well if you can beat any of the real sec teams or whatever conference it is on the, the, big, the big 10 we have penn state this weekend i will be at penn state look for me i'll be one of the mini characters in a squid game uh circle mask costume at the penn state game on saturday night uh or you can find me on sunday morning passed out on the oval lawn um you know, probably beers in hands, maybe babes in hands. Who knows what happened, but definitely passed out. Um, I will be having a fantastic Halloween. How about you guys? Any any joys this Halloween weekend? I'm working. Hey. Oh. hey. 12 a.m. to 8 a.m., babe. 12 a.m. to 9 a.m., actually, believe it or not. Ooh, good luck with that. This, yeah. Well, journalists. I'll do my best. Akshay, what journalists. are you doing? Any fun plans? I'm probably gonna, you know, invite people over. We'll have some drinks. I'm gonna dress up as the Godfather because my hair demands it. Yeah, Akshay is. You, you do have Godfather to your hair. Akshay has his camera off like a coward, but he he has. I don't even <laughs> it know if like it's that right now. I didn't put enough gel in it today. <laughs> I don't even know if it's Godfather to your. Akshay's got like, uh, like Jersey Italian, like like 20, 21st century Jersey Italian hair back. Yeah. No, like it's that's, that's accurate. I, I actually like as an as an Italian, I'm a little offended by like the cultural appropriation, the blatant cultural appropriation. I'm seeing you're not a Jersey Italian, so mm. and actually, so I'm gonna I'm put Ita- you on trial for cultural appropriation for being half Indian. Then, <laughs> uh, Akshay, yeah, really, 
Akshay really does skate the line between what nationality you can pretend he is because there was a moment in time in high school that Akshay was, uh, that Akshay's uh, soccer coach definitely thought he was what, Japanese? Um, among other nationalities. But Japanese I mean, is it? You, you, you could not look at Akshay and like determine his nationality though. You really couldn't. Yeah, Akshay I mean, also I had even... the full chops out, and it was glory. Oh, he had God. the full I'm so chops. I'm upset that you remember that. I don't want oh, any to be, remember. Don't want anybody to remember that. Never forget. That's my. <laughs> okay, I'm cutting that. That that I'm cutting. That's no, not. No, you are on. not. <laughs> that yeah. Oh my God. I say that walking every day on my way to work and walking back yeah, from I'm so, okay I'm, I'm now cutting this oh, as well yeah cut hurry with like all just this is just dub in your sign off and oh, we're out of here yeah cut yeah, all of this, this is all right well, well anyway anyway get us I'm out of here please uh yeah but before we make more offensive jokes um i'm alex purry joined by jeff isa hauser akshay thanks for having back on uh, wonderful week in, in the footballing world. Uh, hopefully more to if come. You're a Liverpool fan. We know that Akshay, um, sorry, we know that we know that Akshay and Jeff will be celebrating at least another weekend of Ole in charge. And, and honestly, we are celebrating right now. Goodbye to an absolute legend. You've served your country incredibly well. Three, you know, three World Cup final appearances, two World Cup wins. Carly Lloyd, we salute you. An incredible player. Uh, retiring. Oh, retired. He's retiring. Uh, goodbye. We love you. We'll miss you. Um, she is the first of this kind of generation that is that is on its way out. She's one of the last, you know, true relics of that old school, old school generation that we had um, that, that wasn't making World Cup finals. You know, that, that 07, that 2011 team. But... <laughs> Uh, she will be truly missed. She has done incredible things for the sport. She's done incredible things for women. She does incredible things in her community uh, in Philadelphia for women's soccer, and we salute her. Yeah. Uh, well well played, Carly Lord. Yeah, I did not know that. Much respect. And on that note, take care. You'll hear from us next week.